Uh, today, we get to finish the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I got the chance to visit uh, one of our small groups, actually small group in D.C. Uh, they meet virtually, so I zoomed in and kind of hung out with them for about an hour and a half as they studied the book, um, did the Bible study, and um, I told them, like, hey, this is the last, uh, last Sunday. We're going to finish the book up. And they were really disappointed, which made me really happy. Like, wow, they, like, they really appreciated going through this book. And so I hope that's the case for most of us. I think it is, I mean, it's a unique book, um, but I think it's worthwhile for us to kind of ponder upon it and think about it. And so today, I get to wrap up this book, and hopefully it will all come together and make sense and really speak to us this morning. If you remember, when we started this book, we said that there potentially was two authors of this book, or the main author, the preacher, we call them the preacher, or Koliheth, uh, he wrote most of, the, most of the sections, most of the chapters. But at the very end, we hear from another voice, and we call him the editor. Um, he comes along and he summarizes the book. And I think it's really, really helpful. So if you have your Bibles with you or devices, please turn with me to the last chapter, chapter 12. Um, I am going to read uh, chapter 12, but I just want to highlight a few things before we jump in. Um, if you have your yeah, Bibles open, look at verse 8. So this is the preacher's last sentence or last phrase that he says. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. If you recall, this is exactly how he started the whole book. Right? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, or if you have the NIV translation, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. So he starts the book out that way, and he ends the book in the exact same way. All that to say, his, his, his summary or his main statement is, everything is vanity, everything is meaningless. I mean, he has said many different things along the way. He even talked about how we can enjoy things and we could give God glory and thanksgiving. But his overall overarching statement is that life is vanity. Life is meaningless. And we've, we've used the word, the Hebrew word hebel, uh, to, to mean, uh, it means breath. Uh, it means vapor. And so what he's getting at is all of life is it's breath. It's awfully hard to get a hold on life and circumstances that we experience. It's, it's awfully hard to control life. It, it, in a sense, it, it feels like it ha happens randomly. It just kind of goes through your fingers. We can't hold on to it. We can't grasp it. And that's what he's saying. He's saying all of life is vanity. Um, if you recall, for those of you who haven't been with us, I just want to highlight a few things. In chapter 1, he said, he said that there's nothing to gain in all of our toil under the sun. Went on to say again, wisdom is vanity in chapter 1. It only leads to sorrow and vexation. And in chapter 2, he talked about how pleasure is vanity. Wine, sex, parks, houses, vineyards, gold, silver, treasure. There's nothing to be gained under the sun, he said. In chapter 4, he said, power is vanity. There's no one to comfort the tears of the oppressed. People who are being oppressed, they, they have no justice. And then he went on to say in chapter 5, money is vanity. It causes no end of troubles as we look, look after our possessions, and it can be lost in a moment's notice. So throughout first first five, six chapters, this is a phrase that he used repeatedly. He said, all is vanity, 
and chasing after wind. And then in chapter 7 through 11, we haven't looked at it. And so my recommendation is that you get to study it for yourself. Um, you get to kind of think about it and hopefully read it and meditate on it. But he, he gets at the, the fact that life is vanity by repeating this phrase. He says, man does not know, he cannot find out. Um, basically, the preacher says, we cannot fully understand why certain things happen to certain people in certain way. So in chapter 8, he says, chapter 8, verse 14, he says, there is a vanity that takes place on earth, that the, and that there are, uh, there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. There are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of righteous. I say that this is also vanity. When I saw all the work of God, the man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find out. And then in chapter 9, he says this, Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not for the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. So chapters 7 through 11, he, he basically says, like, we don't understand why certain things happen to certain people in a certain way. We do not know. And he says, this is vanity. And then in chapter 12, which we'll look at briefly, is he talks about getting old. <laughs> um, so if you, have your, if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to actually read it from the New Living Translation just because it's easier for us to understand it as we read it. So if it's up, there you go. All right. Let me read it for you guys to follow along. He says, Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say, Life is not pleasant anymore. Remember Him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes. And rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house, start to tremble. And before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your, your few remaining servants stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the window see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed. And the sound of the work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worrying about danger in the streets. Before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom. Well, I guess we could say if you just go bald. Um, and you drag along without energy like dying grasshopper. And the caper berry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you, bear, you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Verse 6, yes, remember your creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. For then the dust will return to, earth, to the earth, and the Spirit will return to God, 
who gave it. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. So chapter 12 is about the indignities of getting old, um, how we lose desires and appetites. And one day, all of us will return to dust, and our spirit will return to God, as the preacher says. And he says, this also is vanity. All of us will die. That's, that's how it ends. Now, um, it's, I think, by the grace of God, that's not how the book ends. book doesn't end with hevel. It doesn't end with vanity. But again, as I said, the editor comes along and he summarizes the book for us, which is tremendously helpful. And hevel, as, he, as we go through life, I think most of us, or all of us can like, identify with what he's saying. We've experienced, even this past two years with the pandemic, experienced isolation and experienced dismay and discomfort and pain and anxiety. I mean, we experience a lot of things that this preacher has been talking about. And so we say, we understand when he says, yeah, life is broken. Life is heavy. Things are meaningless. And we, we understand that. But the book doesn't end that way, and Christian life doesn't end that way. It doesn't end with hevel. And so the editor comes, and he speaks, or he summarizes the book for us. And I think this is important. So verse 9, besides being wise, so he's talking about the preacher now. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. All right, just pause there briefly. So he's saying he's not dismissing the preacher. Uh, he's not even correcting the preacher. He's actually affirming all that preacher had said. And he actually says the preacher took great care in writing this book so that we will not only hear it as a lesson, but it would move our hearts, right? He wrote it with delight, and he wrote it uprightly so that it would, it would penetrate to our souls. And verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. I pause there. So here he's saying the words of the wise are like goads. The goads, a, a goad was or is a stick with sharp edges, something that the shepherd would use to drive his animals. And so he says, the editor says, book, book of Ecclesiastes is like that. It's, it's meant to kind of push us along. It's even meant to kind of provide a bit of pain it, it reminds us of how broken life is so that we could be moved, we could be stirred. And that's what, that's what happened, right? When we think about, again, all that the preacher had talked about, all the brokenness and sorrow and vexation and how things are so difficult and broken, it, it, it moves us. It's painful because it reminds us of how life is like. Life is not, um, yeah, life is not, it doesn't always work out the way we want things to work out. There are disappointments in life. Um, there are physical pain that we experience. And so it's the book, the editor says, the book is supposed to cause a bit of pain so that we will be stirred on to move towards God. 
move away from chasing after wind and move towards chasing after something that's something that will last. And he also talks about here that it's um, like a nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings. And so he says it's supposed to move us and it's supposed to penetrate into our hearts. It's, it's supposed to really take hold of us. And, and he says that's why the preacher used Proverbs. He used a poetry. He used short stories. He used metaphors to get us to really think about what he is saying. So we have phrases like, I mean, you know, you guys will remember, just vanity of all vanities. Uh, everything is vanity. I mean, that, that sticks to us, right? And, and the reason why is because he wants these words to uh, capture us. Another phrase, I mean, we could go on and on, but God has placed eternity in our hearts. That we, we are created for something much bigger and, and more than what we see here on earth. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one. And we have all of these phrases that's to remind us of God's truth, that it, it, should, it should penetrate into our hearts. And then he goes on to say, My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. And so he says, make sure that you study this book. And I think we could say, make sure that you study Scripture. Because there is so much knowledge and information out there, and not that those things are wrong. You should, read, you should be reading all the books, but what he's saying is your, your energy, your mental capacity is limited. And so make sure that you study God's Word. And he talks about how this is from one shepherd. And that could mean the preacher, but God is described as shepherd of his people. So we could, take, we could take a step back and say, this book was given to us by God for us to move us along, help us to turn away from chasing after things that will disappear and cause our hearts to be stirred so that we might chase after God. Right, so that's what the editor is saying. This is, he says, this is why the preacher wrote this book. Okay? And then now he gives us his concluding remarks, and that's in, in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, Here's the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And that's it the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments. So there it is. His conclusion is, I've, he says, this is, this is it, right? Fear God uh, and keep His commandments. So let's talk about that a bit. Fearing God, what is that? Um, I think in chapter 5, um, Pastor Jonathan spoke on that. What, I mean, f what is fear of God? It's, it's, stand, it's to stand in awe of Him, right? It's, it's to take God Seriously, um, it means to revere Him and honor Him and worship Him. It means to place Him at the center of our life. It's to acknowledge that God in our lives as, as the highest 
importance, highest good. I mean, he takes the center stage. That's what it means to fear God, right? It's, it means to yeah, revere him. He, we take him seriously. And I think this, in the context of the book, I think this is what we could say. We could say that, we could say that God is the opposite of hevel. Remember, hevel means mist, vapor. It disappears. We can't hold on to it. It comes, it appears, and then disappears. Well, God is the opposite of heaven. God is eternal. He's infinite. He's glorious, meaning He's weighty. Like, He doesn't come and go. He's everlasting. So when we say, when we fear God, we're saying, in the midst of all that's happening that's, that seems to come and go, we need to fear God because He only is everlasting. Fearing the Lord. Um, so, I think one of the things that we should take away from this book is in order for us to make sense of this life that's heaven, life that's broken, things are, seems like it's happening randomly, is to be anchored to something that's stable, is to anchor our life to God who is eternal, who, who is solid, who is glorious, right? Glory means weight, weighty. Hevel disappears, meaning all of life is hevel. All of life will disappear and vanish. Only God is substantial and is weighty. And so fearing the Lord is to attach our life to God who is everlasting. It's um, in Mark chapter 4, there is a, is a story where the disciples and Jesus are on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus falls asleep because he's exhausted from doing ministry, and he's sleeping, and all of a sudden, wind comes, and it's, it, talk, it says how it was such a great storm where the disciples who were fishermen, I mean, they, they know about storms and, and the sea, but even they were afraid, and they were afraid about their life, and so they wake up Jesus, and, and they say, Jesus, um, don't you care about us? We're going we're gonna to drown. We're going we're gonna to die. And Jesus wakes up and he says, peace, be still. And immediately the, the sea becomes flat. The winds stop. And then he looks at the disciples and he says, don't you have any faith? Why were you afraid? I think if you kind of Think about that. And then the passage ends by saying, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I think in some sense, this is a picture that the editor is giving us. That unless you know this God who is eternal, this God who is sovereign, this God who is good and glorious and weighty, you will always be tossed back and forth by heavens of life. Like it will toss you back and forth. And, and so the editor is saying, in midst of this life that is full of vanities, full of meaninglessness, you absolutely need to attach yourself or trust in this God who is glorious. Um, I think we could put it this way. Um, unless we have the fear of the Lord, something else will uh, cause fear in us. But if we have the fear of the Lord, 
worship this God who is immense and who is powerful and big and who is sovereign, then any other fear gets driven out. Unless we have the fear of the Lord, something else will, will capture us, cause us to be fearful. Um, just yeah, think about your life now. Um, do you experience, I mean, do we experience uh, this helpful, this meaningless of life? Like, what's causing that? Is there in your heart a sense of disappointment, maybe? Uh, maybe it's a sense of anxiousness. Uh, we're not sure exactly what's going to happen in the future. Um, the editor is saying, here's, here's the main thing. Fear God. Fear God. And so how does that look like? Well, he says, fearing the Lord means to obey his commandments. It's when we obey his commandments that we know that we are fearing the Lord. How do, we know we're, uh, how do we know if God, how big God is in our life? Well, are we living in obedience to his word today? Um, that's how we know. So fear in the Lord. Uh, to, to say, fear God and keep his commandment, for this is the whole man. So he talks about this more. Um, let, me read, let me read verse 13 one more time. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. And then he says, he gives us two reasons why. He says, for, this is the whole duty of man. And then verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or bad. So let me just talk about these two reasons why we should fear the Lord and why we should obey his commandments. The first thing that he says here is, he says, this is the whole duty of man. Now in the Hebrew Bible, the word duty is not there. Um, it just says, uh, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is whole man. And so I think what the editor is getting at is, like, this is what life is about. This is, this is life. Life is about, essentially, is about fearing God and obeying his commandment. Now, the duty might be implied that that's what our duty is, but it's bigger than that. It's wider than that. Like, meaning of life is to fear God to obey His commandments. And unless we do that, our, the, the way that we create meaning for ourselves in this life, it will crumble. That's what He's saying. Like all of life, if you want to gain sense of meaning in life, we need to have God at the center. We need to place God who is sovereign and powerful and gracious. We need to have Him in the middle. We need to take Him seriously. Unless, again, if we don't do that, the heavens of life will crush us. It will, it will stumble us. So this is what life is. And the Westminster Catechism, which is a way um, the, the church in England used to teach their kids and, and Christians, the very first question says, uh, what is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's our goal. That's what life is about. Um, so think about that. I know that, that seems pretty uh, weighty or kind of general, but think about how fearing the Lord gets played out in all of your life. Like what does it look like for you to place God at the center in your work life or in your relationships? Uh, how, does that, how does that get played out when you have God at the center? Again, the, the message is unless you have Him at the center, the heavens of life will overwhelm you. You'll be gripped by other kinds of fears in your life. 
The second reason, and the last thing that I'll say here is uh, verse 14. He says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Here's the second reason. It says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, throughout the book, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the preacher has told us repeatedly that everything under the sun is vanity, meaning he's, he's basically saying nothing matters, right? Everything is vapor. It will vanish. We will return to dust. It doesn't, nothing matters. Pleasure doesn't matter. Achievements don't matter. Wisdom doesn't matter. Righteous deeds don't matter. We know nothing, so nothing matters. I mean, that's what he's been repeating, right? Vanity, vanity, everything is van. All is vanity. But the editor says that's not the case. Well, that's the case if you take God out of the picture. Then everything is vanity. If nothing really matters. If there's no God who judges, then nothing that we do really ultimately matters because we live, we do good things, some good things, we do, do some bad things. We experience good things in life and bad things in life. We experience uh, joys and, and mourning. I mean, we go through life, but at the end, if there's no God who judges anything, if there's no God who sees everything, then nothing really matters. At the end, everything evens out and that's it. We return back to dust. That's what the book says. That's what the, uh, the, the preacher has said. But editor here says, that's not true. Because if God's really in control, if God really sees everything and he is the judge, then everything matters. Do you see what he says? He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so the editor is saying, if you take God out of your life, then nothing matters ultimately. But if you trust and believe in this God who, is, who judges all things, then everything matters. How we spend our time matters. How we work matters. How we spend our money matters. How we, how we treat people matters. All, everything matters. Things that are big, things that are small, things that are done out in the open, things that are done in, in secret, uh, good things, bad things. What he said, the editor is saying, because God judges all things, everything that we do in this life matters. It's actually the opposite of hevel. Say hevel, if you take God out, life is hevel. Life is vanity. There's no other way to there's no other way to get to meaning meaningfulness in this life because Again, we experience good things, bad things, but at the end, we return to dust. But because there is God, and He sees all things, and He judges all things, yeah, everything matters. And I think that should cause us to rejoice and celebrate, right? Think about that. Everything matters. Um, how you treat people, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, your coworkers, everything matters. Things that, that we do in secret. You know, Jesus talks about how when you give, give so that no one will see uh, that you're giving. When you pray, go into your closet and pray to your Heavenly Father. I mean, everything that we do and no one sees and no one notices, like, it matters. Those of us who are, I don't know, um, displaying kindness 
to people around you, and no one recognizes that, but God does. Uh, those of us who are giving to, I don't know, casa or mission, you're, you're supporting, no one knows that, but God, God sees you, God knows. Those of us who are praying, praying for people around you, praying for your small group members, praying for your pastors. <laughs> uh, no one might know what you're praying about, but God sees you. Um, that matters. Everything that you do matters because God judges all things. It's supposed to encourage us. Now, what we need to consider is if God judges all things, that also brings about, um, I don't know, maybe fear in a bad way, right? Because if God sees everything, surely God noticed when I sin and when I fall and when I don't treat people well. I mean, if God sees those, how am I going to survive God's judgment and God's wrath? Well, the whole book is supposed to push us towards the gospel of Jesus the only way that we can feel secure about where we stand with God is to trust in our Savior Christ, that He lived a perfect life, so that when we trust in Him, when God judges us, He will see Christ's righteousness covering over us. And that's the gospel, right? That God doesn't judge or condemn us because of Christ, that He is covered our sins. One of the, uh, the ways that I think we could think about it is we experience all this hevel. Well, Christ went through the greatest hevel, greatest injustice on the cross so that we might have life with our Heavenly Father. That's the only way we have security in our standing before God. And so in light of that, in light of that, we can live this Christian life if you are a follower of Jesus, we can live this Christian life doing our best, just loving people and serving people because God sees what we do and we do it out of sense of security and delight, wanting to please our Heavenly Father. All right, uh, let's, let's spend a little time in prayer uh, in light of that. Um, maybe just for... as. I'll ask Eric to come, and we'll sing a couple of songs as we close, and we'll take communion as well. Uh, but let's pause here and 